Easter is just the beginning, amen? And I, I will reiterate that just like, uh, just like Christmas. So, you, know, you know, Jesus being born, Jesus dying on the cross, those are really beginning statements. And, and I know we celebrate them, and, and they, as we should, they're important. Uh, but they're more, you know, can I, can I tell you, Easter is, is a mandate to us to live our lives for the glory of God. That if somebody is willing to, and, and I don't think I, I know anybody else that was willing. Well, I, I can say this. I know that there's nobody else that's willing to die for us, especially for our eternity. Um, you know, so when somebody is willing to do that, and it's not just a religion. It's not just something we walk through. Man, there's, there's no other thing that I would rather live for and no other way and lifestyle that I would choose to live than for Jesus. Um, starting next week, we're going to have a new series. Um, I'm calling it Hope Restored. And we're actually going to look at one of the founding fathers of the New Testament church and kind of look into his life. We're going to look at, at Peter. And, uh, and you know, we, I joke about him, and I think a lot of pastors, we joke about him because he, he reminds us of, of so much of, I think, every single one of us. This, this, this treacherous guy who is extremely zealous in everything that he does. He's outgoing. He's, he, he, he's, his mouth is running a 1,000 miles an hour faster than his brain is. Uh, he opens his mouth and inserts his foot more times than he knows what to do. He's chopping people's ears off. He's telling Jesus what to do. Um, and, and he's constantly kind of getting in these moments with Jesus to where even Jesus at one point tells him, like, get behind me, Satan. You know, <laughs> like, this is the relationship him and Jesus have. And, and yet... Some really, really unique things about Peter. The fact that uh, Peter was the one that Jesus said, on this, on that spirit that you carry in you, is where I'm gonna, uh, that's the rock that I'm gonna build the church on. This is the same Peter that, after denying Jesus three times, stood up in, uh, in the middle of Jerusalem and preached the very first uh, salvation message, and thousands came to know Jesus. And, and we're going to look at Peter's life, and we're going to talk about Peter's life, and we're going to talk about what we can learn from it, and as well as some of the things that he has told us in his own letters uh, in the uh, book of First Peter and Second Peter. Now, I'm not going to kick the, the series off. Um, we've got a couple of uh, guest speakers over the next couple of weeks that are going to be uh, kicking this series off. Kemper Pyle, um, who was one of the founding uh, group members of the church, uh, he's going to be coming next week and, and speaking, and he's going to kick the, uh, the series off for us. And and then our very own Sean is going to speak the following week. Yeah. And then I'll come up and I'll, I'll finish, I'll round it off uh, the, the next uh, three or four weeks, depending on what God lays on my heart. Um, and, and I'm excited because I think that we, when we look at Peter, we can think of all the really great things that he's done um, and, and how the church ha has been solidified because of him. But can I tell you that God picked somebody who nobody else would have picked? Nobody else would have picked Peter. Um, and, and he took him and he said, I'm going to, you know, and, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to set the foundational church on the spirit that you carry. And, uh, I believe that that's why we all kind of connect with him because we're like, oh yeah, I could, I could see myself denying Jesus. I could see myself opening my mouth and inserting my foot here. You know, I could see my, myself doing this, this, and this. If you can see yourself doing that, then I hope you can see yourself on the other end of it, Peter preaching the, the salvation message and reaching people for the cause of Christ. All right, I'm not going to preach that message today. That's another day. Um, I've got a message that, uh, I, it's one of my probably like little unknown stories in the Bible that is one of my favorites. Um, and just because I think, you know, God has always shown his power throughout the whole 
uh, book of the Bible. And there's always, there's, I think we all have those stories that we read and we're like, dude, that's like the coolest thing in the world. Well, this is one of those stories for me. Um, and, and we'll get to that story about, about halfway through, but um, we've been talking about how Jesus is like no other. He's not just some God that showed up and, and did his thing and wants you to bow down and wants you to do all these things and da 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 and you have to earn his love and you have to earn you know, this, that, and the other. No, he came and he lived in a way that was different than every other God before him, and then he did what no other God has ever done, which is to, to, to die for our sins, to be raised from the uh, grave, and to be seated at the right hand of God the Father and poured out the Holy Spirit on our lives so that we could live the same way. So I want you to turn with me to uh, Luke 24. If you got your Bibles, if not, as always, it's up here. Uh, we're going to look at 24. We're going to look at uh, uh, verses 5 through 7. And this is right after Jesus died. Okay? So right after Jesus died, or right after Jesus raised from the dead, but they hadn't found him yet. So he, he goes to the cross, he's in there for a few days, he raises from the dead, and this is, this is that scene. They're coming to the tomb on the third day, right? Luke 24, 5 says this, in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, so, so they walk up, so you understand who these men are, these men are, are, are angels, right? Um, and and. It's interesting that the first people that stumble upon the tomb are women. Now, there's a whole message there that I could preach about the solidification of, of the importance of women in, in the church and in the Bible and how, how we, we, we need strong, biblically-founded women in the church, not just in the lives of families. I think that's a given, right? Like we need strong moms and strong wives and aunts and all and grandmas and, and all that. But when it comes to the church, we get into this really stupid theological debate that could literally split a church on whether or not women um, deserve to be at the, uh, the table of leadership. I will let you know where your pastor sits. The answer is yes, <laughs> they do. Uh, men can't make all the right decisions. And the women, calm your amen down real quick, okay? Just shh. We can't. I mean, if you go back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, it says that he made man, and it wasn't good that he was alone. Out of the man, he made the woman to be the completer. Well, then how can we run anything without the completion of what God's design is? Now, first of all, is God. Personal opinion, and, and my biblically founded, I believe, opinion is that the head of the church, first of all, is God, not a man. Secondly, is the Bible says should be a man. Now, I'm not saying anything about a church that has a female uh, senior pastor. If somebody can sit underneath that, awesome. Bravo to you. I don't think you're going to hell because your senior pastor is a, wife, a, a, a woman, okay? I don't. It's just for me, I look at what the Bible says. Now, do I think that women can make, help make church decisions? Absolutely. We have many women in our church that help make those decisions, okay? Um, I believe that, that women can be pastors and they can preach and, and, and all that stuff. They're, they're, women are not the, the second-rate citizens of the kingdom, and, and this story proves it. Because if it was, then he would have made the disciples the first one to walk up on the scene. Instead, it was a woman. This woman runs up and, and, and finds these angels there, and, and it says that the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered unto the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be risen again. So these angels tell these women, hey, listen, how is this a surprise to anybody? He told you exactly, the, he told you the playbook. He told you exactly what was going to happen. Um, if you watch football, um, on CBS, uh, one of my uh, favorite guys to listen to is Tony Romo, not just because he's an ex-cowboy, but because he's a good uh, uh, football an- analyst. And they call him uh, Romo Stradamus, okay, because this, he has such a knack for looking at a play and the design of an offense and say, oh, hey, by the way, you know, the, the, the slot receiver is going to do this and, and the running back's going to do this and this and this and this. And, like, literally, like, no Stradamus, that's exactly what happens. He has called more plays before the play starts uh, than any analyst I've ever uh, uh, watched. It's amazing. And, and Jesus does the same thing here. He, 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 he called his play way before. He told him, he said, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die for you. But don't worry, I'm coming back. But in, in their earthly emotions, they're like, oh my God, he's gone. What do we do? They're like, he told you the playbook. He's not here. Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? And that's my question to you today. Why do we look for the living amongst the dead? Why do we look for the things of God amongst the things that are not of God? Why do we look for the answers of life in everywhere but where the answers are given? So I've got a couple of thoughts. Try to keep them quick. Told myself this year is going to be the year where I get my my messages uh, done quicker. We'll see. I I will say I have uh, slowly ticked them down, by the way. I track those. So I think my last one was at like 40 minutes, which is great, okay, by the way? So just let you know. But my first thought today is just that stop looking for the living among the dead things. You may say, what do I mean? Listen, you cannot expect God to be found in your dead things. You can't, you can't, you can't expect God to just, just sit in your mess. You know, we, we hear a lot of cliche sayings in the church world, right? He's going to take your mess and turn it into a message, which is true if you allow him to. But he's not just going to just sit with you in your mess while you sit there, not willing to move, not willing to change. I like my mess. You know, um, my mom recently or a while ago was was thinking about, because, you know, they live on land and whatnot, and they've got two goats, and uh, I thought that they think she had a crazy hair. She wanted to get a pig. Um... She sent me a Facebook message. What do you think about this? I'm like, you do you. Actually, let me, let me revert that back. Actually, what she said was this. Hey, that dog pen of yours at your house would be a great pig pen. And I said, go somewhere else with that. You've got 26 acres. You go get a pig because I'm not, uh-uh. And she goes, well, I don't, I, I just don't want the pig because yeah, it's always got to be muddy and da-da-da-da. And, and I'm like, no, this is not, listen, we are inside city limits. I'm not just having a pig just wander around, okay? Unless that pig is named Bacon and he is going to produce for me, that's it, okay? You can call him Bacon or Pork Chop or anything like that. I'll be down, okay? But isn't it interesting, like, pigs like that because of, obviously, their coat. It keeps them cool. It's all that kind of stuff. But isn't it interesting? We, we do the same thing. We ask God to show up in our lives, and yet here we are in our mess, and he's like, cool, okay, I'll meet you there. God isn't afraid to get muddy with you. God isn't afraid to to get dirty in your life and to to pick you up in your worst. 
You don't have to come to church cleaned up. You don't have to come to Jesus already prepared and, and, and ready to live for him. God, God, God enjoys the mess of our life. He enjoys meeting us there, but he will not let you stay there. And, and, I, and I think that's the problem is that we have created a, a cute and cliche Christianity that says that God is just okay with whatever I do and however I live. And, and listen, maybe you can call me old school uh, in, in that mindset, but I'll just say that I'm biblical in this, that the Bible never states that Jesus is okay just sitting with you for all of eternity in your mess. He'll meet you there because he knows that you don't have a way out and you don't have an answer, obviously. His goal is to pick you up and to, and to walk you out of that mess and to clean you up, and only he can do that. And so many times, the reason why we like the mess is because it's comfortable, right? Why don't you get your finances in order? Because even though it's chaotic, at least I know how to, how to like, live in my crazy, Right? I, I, I like my crazy because at least I know that when I wake up, I'm gonna, it's, my, it's my crazy. God says, uh-uh-uh. Your crazy may have worked up until now because it, you have to. But you, 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 you constantly, I mean, how many have sat there in the middle of your craziness and God, God, there must be a way out. There must be a better way. There must be a better life. There must be a better answer to this. And he's like, there is. It's going to take some work. Oh, forget that. See, now, here, here's the thing. If I said, if I promised you life, if I promised you enjoyment, if I promised you peace, if I promised you comfort, how many would be on board for that, right? I mean, like, now, let's talk about how, what it takes to get there. I'm out. You, why can't you just promise it without any work done? Like, I just want to be better. And, and the reality is, is that though we find ourselves in, in messy, dead, crazy places, that's where God may find us. But there's a process to get to the place where he wants us to be, which is alive. Those dead things, those dead ways, those dead relationships, the dead addictions aren't the place where God wants to keep you. It may be where he finds you, but it's not where he wants to keep you. And it's work because we have to sacrifice, because we have, to, we have to be willing to allow him to chisel things off of us and strip us of our mess and our dirtiness and our sin and, and, and turn to him and say, God, I trust you with what you're doing. The Bible says it all throughout, from Old Testament to New. He calls us out of death and into life. Out of death, into life. That's a process. And, I, and, and, and the picture I always get with that is Lazarus, right? Lazarus dies, he goes, he gets, in, he gets into the tomb, they, and, and they're so afraid. Jesus is like, roll the stone away, and they're like, Lord, he is going to smell. How many have stumbled upon a, a, a dead animal after about four days? It smells ripe, okay? And, and they were on the fourth day. And they knew that when that stone rolled away, he was going to smell. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. Now, Lazarus just didn't walk out like, ta-da, I'm here. It says that he walked out in his grave clothes. He still looked like dead things. He still looked like the addiction. 
He still looked like the, the irresponsibility of, of, of not being able to handle certain things or the stress and craziness or, or maybe the overwhelming depression or worry of, of life. Or he still looked like financial struggles or he still looked like uh, work issues. I don't care about you right now. I'd be interested to know what you picked up on my series sometimes tries to step out of pocket. But it, he looked like dead things. Jesus, when he calls us out like Lazarus, sometimes we like to stay wrapped up in our dead things. Oh, I'm alive because Jesus called me out. But, but I'm not willing to let go of the grave clothes that have wrapped me up. And, and I want to live for Jesus, but I'm not willing to let go of my grave clothes yet. I'm going to look like a zombie. Because that's what he would have looked like. He'd have been wrapped in cloth from his head to his toes. Did you, I mean, literally, that's the, the envisionment is a zombie. He walks out of that, that, that tomb, and he is wrapped up from head to toe in white linen cloth. That would have freaked me out. I can imagine what his sisters were thinking. And as Jesus calls him out, the next step was the process. Could you imagine if Lazarus walked out and said, and, and Jesus says, take off his grave clothes. And Lazarus goes, don't do that. These are comfortable. These feel good. They're breathable. Right? How many times do we tell God, oh, I want to live for you, but, and he says, okay, this is what it's going to take. Oh, but God, you know how, how, how I struggle with my words and, and how I talk to people. It's just who I am. I really don't feel like this is going to be a very comforting message for a lot of people, but whatever. Um, tuck your toes. It's all good. It's Jesus, not me, okay? That's, that, listen, I, I'm going I'm to I'm I'm package it in a way that I hope you hear love, but how many know we need to be challenged sometimes? This cute, comfortable Christianity, I don't want to get to heaven's gate, and they go, and God goes, hey, look, I called you to be a leader, and instead you wanted to be a, a social gathering, and you just wanted to be liked, and so you spoke fluffy words, and, you, and nobody changed, and actually people are going to go to hell because you didn't speak the right words. I, that'll never be said of me. Like, you, if you don't like the word of God, just tuck your toes and go somewhere else. I don't know. I guess, I, you know, I'm not very good at this whole, like, building a church thing because I will tell you the truth, and, and if you don't like it, there's 114 other churches to pick from. But you're not going to get to the, the heaven's gates and go, well, I was never told that I had to live a certain way. Okay. We've got to stop looking for living things amongst the dead. The grave clothes may be comfortable, but they're for dead people. So Jesus says, Wrap, get those grave clothes off because he's alive. So I'm telling you today, you don't have to have all the answers, but I'm telling you, if you got things in your life that are holding you back from Jesus, you need to take them off. You need to, and, and, and it's not easy. It's, it's not comfortable. It's, it's not going to be the, the smoothest thing in life to transition from living in your own way that, that is apart from God and living close to God. But we don't need to go back to the graveyard, graveyards of our life trying to find hope, healing, purpose, and a savior. Your purpose isn't at the end of an addiction. Your purpose isn't in, in the, uh, the, the end of making people feel smaller than themselves so that you could have power or a relationship that feels that way. Your, 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 your purpose isn't at, at the end of a uh, 
a feeling or an emotion, and I've said this over and over again, that emotions are great, God designed them, but they were never meant to be our masters. And I'll tell you, I feel like more now than ever, we allow emotions to dictate everything we do. You don't understand, I don't feel. I'll be very honest, I don't think God really cares half the time what we feel. There's a lot of times where I tell God straight up, God, I don't feel good about that. He's like, suck it up, buttercup. Me and God, we, listen, uh, you know, I've never had the conversations that some people have with God where it's cute and flowery and like, he's all like, oh, my son, I love you. He's always like, oh, well, do you want to live for me or do you want to keep, keep in your grave clothes? Oh. And maybe it's because I like it more blunt that way because it just makes sense to me. Because I know what he's done. I've experienced his goodness. And yet, I'm human. And so even, even every, listen, any pastor that gets up on a stage and says, well, I've overcome everything. Liar. Liar. I, I, <laughs> I will tell you right now. I struggle. Because I'm human. I have days where I don't have it all together. I have days where I just want to lose my stuff on people. I have days where I would rather, listen, if you don't think that there's days where it doesn't sound very tempting to pick up, sell everything you have and go move somewhere else where nobody knows you, yeah, yeah, like start all over, God. I, listen, I, I would rather be a nomad in a trailer right now some days. He says, but does that bring you purpose? It, it, are, are you just living in your, in your dead things because it's comfortable? Lazarus, take your grave clothes off. Don't turn to dead sins, addictions, attitudes. Ooh, yeah, there's a whole nother message there. That brought, listen, here's the thing. They bring temporary comfort and joy. They do, right? You go off on that person, it feels good, okay? Anybody that says that, that it doesn't feel good, they ain't doing it right. Absolutely, you just, you're not. Because it feels good to go off on somebody when you feel like you've got the upper hand or you're right. Listen, AT&T people on the other end of the line. Listen, you want to get me unsaved real quickly, make me call customer service to just about anything. Okay? I was on the phone with AT&T on Friday, and I simply just wanted to ask one simple question. Will my phone work if I go here? And I swear, the girl on the other end of the line was 15. She had to have been. She, her voice was very, like, young, and every question ended with, um, hold on, let me check for you. I mean, if I just wanted to Google something, I'd have done that and not waited on the line for 25 minutes. She mutes me and then comes back. Okay, sir, they're telling me, who's them? I, you are them. What are you talking about? Them are telling you. What? <laughs> If you have somebody else talking to you, can, can I talk to them? Why am I talking to you? Like, listen I, listen, I will lose my Jesus real quick on a customer service phone call. About every time I do that, my, my wife has to remind me, you love Jesus. Remember that. <laughs> like, the Holy Spirit, a.k.a. Stephanie Bodenhammer, is in the background going, speak gently. It brings me, listen, it brings me temporary comfort and joy when I get off the phone and I'm like. <laughs> but it's not right. It's not. 
And I know it. And I've gotten, I think, better at it. I think. <laughs> it's like we could take a poll of the people that I've probably left in tears on the other end of the line. I don't know. But, and, and listen, that's a lighthearted viewpoint, but I mean, think about the, the battles in our marriages where, where is it better to win or is it better to sacrifice and compromise for the sake of the relationship? Is it, is it better to, to just go and spend and, and, and do whatever you want with your finances or to, to save and have a budget and know how to, know how to properly handle that? And listen, I, I think unless you are really, really good at finances, uh, that will always be a struggle for, for most people. But listen to me, all of those, those, those dead things, the sins, the addictions, the attitudes, all of those things that bring temporary comfort and joy, they are just substitutes and false flags to the true comfort and joy of Jesus. Every answer, every question that we have about life is found in the Bible and is found in the Holy Spirit in that relationship when we ask him, God, what do you want me to do here? How do you want me to handle this? How do you want me to treat these people? We run to him and, and, and we stop looking for the living amongst dead things. Ezekiel 18, 30 through 32 says this, therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Here's a word that we don't say enough in church. Repent. Turn away from all of your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. And it doesn't sound encouraging, but it is extremely encouraging that when we choose Jesus, we turn from the life that we thought we needed, the, th- the life that we thought we had, the one that was already dragging us down, the one that wasn't where we wanted it to be. We repent and we turn to God. And listen, it says, repent and live. Repent and find the joy that you're searching for in this relationship or in this addiction or in this job or in these things. Repent and live. It is the turning of our hearts to Jesus, calling on the power of his name and blood to redeem us and breathe new life and new spirit into us. Can I tell you, if you get nothing else out of today, repentance isn't just a one-time thing. Repentance is a state of our spirit to say, if I've gotten off track, God, help me get back. It's not just saying, God, I'm sorry. Parents in the room, how many times have you ever said, if you're sorry, do this, right? If you're sorry, show me, right? Because we don't like empty words. We don't. If, 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 if every Sunday Randy came in and I had tore down the drum set before he got here and he had to put it back together, man, why'd you do that? Oh, I'm sorry, man. I meant to put it back together before Sunday. And then the next Sunday, he comes back, and I've torn it down just for fun, and, and, and he comes in, and he's all like, what the heck? And, oh, man, I'm sorry. I, I forgot. I'll, I'll make sure that it's, it's per- The third Sunday, you think he's really going to believe my I'm sorry? No. No. You think he's coming? No. How many times in our marriages or in our, our work relationships or our friendships have we said I'm sorry for the same thing? We've tried to raise our kids with this thought in motion that, that if, if you keep saying sorry for the same thing, then really you're not sorry for, 
for the action. You're just sorry that you got caught, right? How many times do we go back to Jesus and in our nighttime prayers, we're like, God, I'm so sorry. I want to ask you this because I've asked myself this hard question in my sins. Are you sorry because you got caught? Are you sorry because, and you want to change? Because those two things will be different. Because sorry I got caught, it lasts only for so long, right? You know, maybe the next time, oh, I'm not going to do that because I know how I felt afterwards. Sorry, and I want change, is saying, Holy Spirit, come and, and, and convict me when I, when I do that. And you know that feeling, Right? I think, I think even how we speak is probably one of the hardest things that most of us struggle with, right? Whether it's cussing or negative thoughts, uh, negative statements towards others, uh, sarcasm. I'm just going to throw that out there. Listen, um, and sarcasm's a funny thing because I think that there's a line um, that's okay. Most people jump over it play hopscotch over it, jump rope over it. You know, they, we, 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 in, in the American culture, we, we use sarcasm as a way to like beat people down. And, and, I, and I, the only way I know how to describe that line is you, you know who, who can take it and, and, and what your relationship's like. Now, don't say that when you know that the other person's hurting. Oh no, that's just how we are. Really? Because I saw their face and their face looked like they were about ready to die. If it's mean-hearted, then I think we need to ask ourselves, would, Jesus, would you say that if Jesus was present? And what a great barometer of, 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 of how we would speak. Would you say that if Jesus was here? Because newsflash, he is. <laughs> if you've invited him into your life, he's going with you and he's living with you. And, and we say that and we do that. And then listen, there are a lot of things in my life that I wish I could go back and take back knowing that thought process that, man, God is present in my life. I want you to repent and live. The second thing, and this is where the, the, the meat of this thought, my favorite story comes into play. It says you can't just put God in the room. You can't just put God in the room. Now, you may be like, what does that statement even mean? Let me read you four, uh, uh, four verses in the Bible of a story that I absolutely love. It's found in 1 Samuel 5, verses 1 through 4. It says this. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, okay, so this is the Ark, this is God's presence that they would carry with, the Israelites would carry with them everywhere they go, it would be the, the base camp, it would be where the synagogue, this Ark would have been in the middle of it. This was the, the, the visible presentation of the presence of God uh, back in the Old Testament. So the Philistines stole that after they beat the Israelites in, in battle at Ebenezer to the town of Ashdod. They carried the ark of God into the temple of Dagon and placed it beside an idol of Dagon. But when the citizens of Ashdod went to see it the next morning, Dagon had fallen with his face to the ground in front of the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and they put him back in his place again. But the next morning, the same thing happened. Dagon had fallen face down before the ark of the Lord again. This time, his head and hands had broken off and were lying in the doorway. Only the trunk of his body was left intact. Now, maybe you've never read that story. But it is like one of my favorite little, uh, little short stories in the Bible of, of the Israelites and the, and the power of God and the ark of God. And I'm going to tell you why. And, 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 and this whole, you can't just put God in the room, is you can't just put God in the middle of your life and not change. You can't expect God 
to, you know, to pick him up and just to put him in the middle of your life and just go, okay, God, just play nice with everything else. Just, just sit there, be cute, show up on Sundays. <laughs> and just, you know, cool. Easter, Christmas, like, you'll, you'll, you'll be elevated, but just sit there in the room with everything else, with all my other little gods. God doesn't play nice with, with things that don't belong to him. He doesn't. Over and over again in the Bible, you see when the power and the presence of God shows up in the room, things that are not of God get broken. And I'm telling you, if you want things broken off in your life, then you got to truly submit to the power and the presence of God. And this is what happens. Dagon is in the presence of a real God. The fake God is in the presence of a real God, and the fake God gets broken. Think about it. The first time it's, uh, they show up, he's laying face down in front of the ark. And the second day they decided to put him back up, his hands and his head were broken off. His thought process and his actions were no more allowed. I'm telling you, God cannot just sit quietly in your room because he doesn't play nice with sin. He doesn't play nice with things that are not lined up with his word. If you want to live for God and want God in your life, your sin and struggles, shame, pain, past, will all have to bow at the feet of Jesus in submission. All of them. And it doesn't have to be overnight. Listen, I think sometimes we get this idea that, you know, if I come to know Jesus, uh, uh, that, that overnight I have to completely be a different person and everything's laid at the foot of the cross and I'll never have another problem. What a lie. And what a lie that actually gets very disheartening for believers. Because they go, why do I still struggle with this? Why, why, why do I still have a hard time with this? I, I, I've come to Jesus, and, and I gave my life to Jesus, so why do I still struggle with it? And, and, and the reality is, is because Jesus has the power to, but are you willing to allow him? Right? Or do you keep just putting Dagon back up, expecting a different solution? Okay, God, like, you're in my room, you're in my house, you're in my life, but I'm going to continue to do... And you're going to realize that, that that's hard. One of the worst feelings in the world is feeling like you're serving two masters, living two lives. I want to live for God, but I struggle here. The question is, what are you willing to do, even if it's hard, what are you willing to do to change so that you line up with the will of God? Because I can promise you this, it's not easy to let go of things of the past. It's not easy to let go of the comfortable areas. It's not easy to take off the grave clothes. But we can't expect God to continue to live in the middle of our life if we're not willing to sacrifice and submit to him. We have to cut the head, the thought process, cut the hands, the actions of the things in our life that don't line up with God. I can't expect it to just go away sometimes. Yeah, I've talked with a lot of people that, that struggle with addiction um, and love Jesus, okay? And when you talk to them, there's the miraculous, and then there's what they have to do. Jesus can take away the urges, but if you keep going back to the same places, you're going to get them again. If you're an alcoholic, and God, and I, listen, my father-in-law was an alcoholic, okay? 
Stephanie's dad was an alcoholic. And when he, when he came to Jesus, he finally just got to the place where he was like, look, I, I'm tired of being like this. And God took the urges away. But I guarantee you, had he had gone back to the bars, gone back to the stores and bought the alcohol, it would have started right back up. That's how sin works. You have to cut the thought part. The Bible says, take captive your thoughts. Means we have to, to, to listen, when you're addicted, it, it, it's a constant battle of just not thinking about it, not thinking about it, not thinking about it, not thinking about it. It overwhelms it because your body is saying, I need this. And so your body is going through withdrawals. Your body, your, your whole nerve system, your mindset is going, I need this. It's hard to tell that to shut up. Go somewhere else. <laughs> On a lighthearted note, I kind of been struggling with that like the last few days. I've been wanting ice cream like crazy. Listen, y'all, listen, y'all know how much I talk about Bluebell ice cream, okay? Listen, I love me some ice cream. And it's getting to that weather where ice cream just feels good, okay? Like, it's good to your soul, okay? And every, like, and at the same time, I'm like, man, I'm trying to lose some weight. Um, and, and ice cream and losing weight do not go in hand in hand unless it's that nasty stuff that tastes like chalk. That's not ice cream. That's from the devil. So finally, I was about ready to give in. This is Jesus for you. It's about ready to give in. We drove through McDonald's for our kids last night to get them food. We had something healthier. We we're going to cook at home for me and Stephanie because she made me. Because um, she said, how about this? And I said, okay, whatever. I was like, yeah, watch this. So we rolled through McDonald's. <laughs> Can I get a small Oreo McFlurry? Guess what? Sorry, sir. Our ice cream machine is down. Should have went to Sonic. <laughs> but listen, how many times are we on that edge and Jesus is throwing up lifeline after lifeline? If you just hold on, if you just push through. I know it's tough at first. I know it's tough to, to stop thinking those negative thoughts. I know it's tough to stop saying those things and, and speaking that way. I know it's tough to, to not allow those addictions into your life. But I promise you, if you can push through on your end, I'm already doing the miracle. I'm already killing off the things that are hurting you. But you have got to be willing to do the part and sacrifice yourself. You've got to be willing to do the things that you've never done before to get the joy that is like nothing ever before. We've got to stop asking God to entertain our Dagons, our false gods, our, our, our addictions, our hurts, our pains, and our past. We've got to cut the head, the thought process, and then we've got to push away the things that we would act upon in our life that don't line up with God. Lastly, I want to give you this. That we've got to die to old life and live a new life with purpose. It's not good enough to just cut things out. It's not. So many times in my walk, I've, I've, I've listened to people say, well, man, you just got to get rid of sin. But what are you going to do with, with that sin? With you, you're going to replace it with something. You've got to replace it with something. Because eventually, if you don't replace it, you're just going to run back to what's comfortable. And so if you're going to really submit to God and, and he says, hey, Scott, I really want you to work on how you speak to people 
okay, well then if I'm working on the negative statements that I make, then what do I need to fill them with? Probably positive statements. Hey, Scott, really want you to live past like 55, stop eating so much ice cream. What do I got to fill it with? Broccoli. <laughs> Actually, I like broccoli. I like broccoli. As long as it's not steamed. Okay. You know, but it, it, listen, as you get older, and I hate to even make that as a statement that I'm even like thinking about because I'm not old, nor am I contemplating that. But like you do, you start to go like, geez, my, my body doesn't bounce back as it used to. I'm, I'm coaching baseball right now and running around with those little guys. Like, I'm starting to realize, like, my body, after tormenting itself year after year of my life, it, it doesn't, listen, the elasticity of my, of my body is not there like it was when even five years ago. And so if I want it to be, then there are some things that I need to change, some things that I need to work on. Yeah. But here's the thing. How many times, and I'll be the first, I'm raising my hand. How many times I said, this is, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get in shape. I'm going to get healthier. I don't need to be like skinny mini, but I just, I just, I just want to be healthy, right? You know? And then what happens? Life, and we make excuses, and we get comfortable. We do the same thing spiritually. And I want to submit to God. Because we've felt the taste, we've, we know the, the, we've, we've seen him move in our life enough to know that when we do, it's truthfully there. But it's the commitment to give everything to him. It's the commitment to submit all to him. That is scary. The last scripture I want to read is 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. It says this, either way, Christ's love controls us. Ooh, I love that statement. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised from them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This meant that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconcil reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Amen. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. There's a lot in that scripture. But I want to leave you with, and Sharice, you can come up. I want to leave you with these four simple things that I got out of that on how we can help our lives stop living in the dead things start living the life that God has called us to. There's simply these four things that are found in this set of scriptures. The first one is this, is that we have to die to our old life. Some of us are, are, are trying to love Jesus and hold on to our old life. Because it's what we know. It's what's comfortable. Because living for Jesus can be scary when, we, when the unknown is in front of us. 
the, the mere thought of, of change is, is enough to make people revert like hermit crabs. The Bible says that we need to die to our old life. It doesn't mean that your personality changes. And I think that's what we're afraid of. Like, oh, he's going to change everything about me. No, he made you. He knows exactly who you are. He's not asking for your personality to change. He's asking for the things that don't line up with the word of God to die to the will of God. We've got to die to our old life. But can I tell you, it's a choice. It's intentional. It's intentional. I, I, I can't force or preach good enough or, or sing a, you know, we can't, we, we, could, we could invite the greatest of the greats to come and, and, and lead uh, our church. Not one of them can make that choice for you. You have to. It's intentional. I'm going to work today to be better and closer to Jesus than I was yesterday. We've got to die to our old life. The second thing that I love about that set of scriptures is it says this, we don't live for ourselves. Christianity by nature is an others-minded belief system. I'm living for Jesus first, and I'm living my life in a way that I'm going to let others know of this Jesus, and I'm going to live and put others first. It's why when, when, when people come to church and, and they really buy into Jesus, not just a religion, man, the, the generosity goes up in their life. Not just financially, but man, hey, you know, what do you need help with? Hey, hey, can, can, can I help serve here? Can, can we do this? Man, this isn't just your church. This is my church. Can I tell you, I hope that's how you feel. I hope you don't look at it and just go, oh man, that Scott and Stephanie, they, they, they built this church. No, we didn't. We just, we were just, here. Because <laughs> we said, God, wh wh whatever you want us to do. And he said, Camden, Arkansas. And we're like, cool. Where's that? <laughs> but listen, without, like, like, me and her could not have built this. It, it, it takes all of you to link arms and say, hey, we believe that this is where God is going to do something. And we want to see people's lives radically changed for the glory and the gospel of Jesus. Because we've experienced it. And I want, my, my goal, my end, my heart is to make hell smaller and heaven larger by what we do and how we live. It's when you go to Southern Pipe and you live it out for the glory of God. See, in church, a lot of times we talk about this right here, but it's, it's, it's going to work at Lockheed at four in the morning and, and having an attitude that says, Jesus is going to do something here. It's, it's, it's owning businesses and saying, how can I use my business for the glory of God? It's, it's, it's waking up in your body feeling like it doesn't want to do life, and yet you're telling it, we're going to do life today and we're going to do it well. It's, it's the teachers, which we have been blessed to have quite a bit in here saying, I'm not just getting a paycheck, I'm making a difference for the generations to come, and I'm going to show them God's love through it. It's everything we do, living for the glory of God and for others. And with that, it's, it's, it speaks very plainly about a new life began. I think the hardest part is this. 
We come to Jesus. And we understand we don't like where we came from. But we don't ever step into that newness of life. What, who do you want to be now? What do you want God to do in your life? What, what do you want God to speak into your life? What hopes and purpose do you want God to use in your life? What talents do you have to offer to, for the glory of God? What, what friend groups can you go and reach? A new life has begun means that we have to put the past away. Shut that chapter and say, God, what do you have now? And so many of us, we get to salvation. We come to the cross. And here's what happens. We recognize Jesus did something here. And that's where we leave it. That's where we leave it. We're like, that's really cool, Jesus, that you would be willing to die for my sin. And I, I want that. I want to go to heaven. So, so I, I accept you as my Savior. And over and over and over again, it says that he did that so that your old life would die and that a new life would be founded. And we don't pick up that new life. We try to shove him into the old life. And we, we can never even do the fourth thing that's on my little list right there of that scripture, which is that it says that we are Christ's ambassadors. How can we ever speak about a God that lovingly cares for us and has changed our life if we have never stepped into that newness of life? All we do is struggle with shoving God into the old. So I had this visualization of what that looked like. It's so high tech, it's sticky notes. and saying, what, what can I leave there? Because in order for newness to happen, I've got to lay old life down. In, in order for me to be an ambassador, it means that I've got to carry the calling of that with me. And I can't do that while trying to shove God into an old life. So I've got to go and I've got to lay down. And that's just one that I like me time. I'm, I'm selfish with me time. Like, I don't get a lot of it, so I want to protect it. But in, in those processes where I could be working on becoming a better person or a better father or a better husband or, or, or becoming a better pastor, I want to sit and I want to do nothing. I'm my, I'm my own worst enemy. It's not that God's, you know, the, the enemy's got me held down by addictions and pain and, and hurt or anything. But, but you know what? Hey, how about just not get better because you fill your time up with things that don't matter? What's yours? What is your old life that has kept you held on from being fully submitted to the glory of God? Maybe you just need to lay down at the foot of the cross and say, I don't want to be this person anymore. 
I want to be, listen, I've accepted Jesus, but I have not fully allowed my old life to go so that I could step into the newness so that I could live as an ambassador for Jesus everywhere I go. Be anything. You tip, even as I say it, you, you know. So here's what I want you to do. I want to close your eyes as we end today. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that thing, or maybe it's things, I don't know. But when I say we've got to stop trying to find the living amongst the dead, that your, stir, your, your spirit stirs in you and says, oh, if I could just if I could just get rid of this in my life. If I could commit to sacrificing this area of my life. If I could work on changing this portion of my spiritual life, I know that I could walk in the fullness of God and live in the newness of his life. I need to stop taking God and putting him in my old things and putting him next to my little fake gods and expecting something different until my fake God is laying face down and his head is cut off and his arms are cut off and I've submitted to the glory of God. What is that? What is that thing for you? And Jesus, as they sit here and think of that, God, I pray that if they're wanting to really change it, that God, that Holy Spirit, you would bring conviction as well as encouragement every day. Maybe it's to live healthier. Maybe it's like me to, when I've got some of that downtime, to work on becoming that better person that you've called me to be. Maybe for some, it's, it's how they speak. Maybe it's their attitudes. Maybe it's the struggle of letting their past actually go and finding healing so that they can move forward and write a new chapter with you. Maybe there's something that they're holding on to of an addiction. That if they would just let go, they would watch their spirit grow. God, maybe it's a, it's, it's a lie of the enemy that they have bought as truth for so long. And they need to not just get rid of it, but they need to fill it with your word and with your truth. God, I pray that you would work in us. Whether it takes a week or a month, God, that you would work in us to, to speak and to help start to correct those things. And God, that we would be encouraged and challenged to do just that. That we would submit to your will. That we would take the grave clothes off. We would stop looking for you amongst the dead things and trying to fit you in a room where you don't belong because we are trying to make you look like our old life. We would submit to you and say, God, Teach us how to live in your newness. God, I pray that this week we work on ourselves. Not in a we can do it, but because we know that you can. Getting in your word, praying, seeking your face, putting ourselves around good people that love you. Being real and honest with ourselves. Am I living amongst the dead looking for Jesus? Have I fully submitted to him or are there things that I need to let go of? 
I want to end this morning this way. If you want to leave, be more than welcome to. God just laid this on my heart. And if there's something that you're working on, you don't, I don't want you to put your name down on this sticky note, but if you want to, come and write what, what you're struggling with, what you want God to, to, be, to, to submit to God and say, I'm willing and ready to let go of this so that I can be closer to you. I encourage you before you leave to write it on the sticky note, put it on the cross. This is going to be my commitment to pray for each and every one of you. I believe that when we step out in faith and we allow God to do what only he can do, but we meet him at that moment and say, I'm willing to work on what I need to work on and also admit to it because sometimes it's really hard to say I'm lazy because I don't want anybody to believe that because I, I work hard and da-da-da-da and my downtime is my down. No, I know where I struggle. God, help me to fix it. So don't, you don't have to put your name on it. But let's put it on the cross and make a commitment to be closer to who, who he wants us to be and submit to it. And so ahead of time, God, I thank you for the, those things that will be written on the cross. I commit to praying for them and for our people to find freedom. We love you, Jesus. Help us to be a blessing this week. Help us to find freedom in our lives this week. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>